Hello, and welcome to Alcohol-Free Radio. I'm your host, Chris Becker, and I'm excited to have you join us. Whether you are new to the amazing and growing alcohol-free community or someone who is already familiar, we hope you enjoy our program. This is where you can hear from some people making a real difference, whether as brewers or producers of amazing beverages, influencers in the community, authors, storytellers, and more. We aim to break it down and bring it all together. Our goal is simple, to build awareness about this great community and to help make alcohol-free, fun, easy, and tasting great. So here we go. Enjoy. Hey everyone, Chris Becker here, and this episode is uh, an interesting one. It delves into a part of the conversation with alcohol-free that we don't get a chance to talk about as often. Um, Alcohol-free and its intersection with the sober community and the challenges of addiction. Um, Jack Britton is an addiction counselor with a lot of experience working uh, in facilities and uh, directly with patients. Um, uh, here in Connecticut uh, with Turnbridge, uh, an addiction uh, center, inpatient and outpatient. Uh, somebody I've known through my own uh, journey through that process. Uh, so I've gotten a chance to talk with him about this topic a lot, including when uh, the idea for Breda Roads was kind of still germinating. So we get into a, a real conversation and I think uh, we're going to title this episode Alcohol-Free Harm Reduction or Gateway Drug because it really is a topic of debate in terms of what it can do to help some people uh, go day by day in terms of drinking less or not at all, um, which is where we'll spend more of our time. And then um, those where it really isn't helpful and, and, and what are the things we need to be mindful of and respectful of in the in that uh, in that area and something I think is worth talking about and is important. So hope you enjoy it and uh, interested in your thoughts and comments on this um, and, and we may delve into it in, in deeper topics uh, in the future as well. So hope you enjoy my talk with Jack Britton, uh, addiction counselor. Um, and here you go. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back uh, to Alcohol Free Radio. This is Chris Becker, and I'm excited for this conversation um, with Jack Britton of Turnbridge, a counselor of substance use and mental health at Turnbridge, which is a recovery center here in the New Haven area, uh, more to say, and in Connecticut. More to say about that in a second. Um, but it's interesting because Jack would be one of the people that had heard me blethering on about this idea early uh, and just bouncing around uh, about bouncing around with that. But more to say about that in a second. So Jack, please introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to be here. Um, I've been a therapist for 10 years in um, Minnesota, Texas, and Connecticut, uh, the last five years here in Connecticut. And I work with all different age groups, but primarily substance use and mental health. Um, happy to provide some perspective today and, and discuss everything related to uh, the products that you guys have. Great. And um, Jack and I know each other because uh, I went to uh, intensive outpatient at Turnbridge a couple of years ago. And the idea for the business literally weeks before uh, was me on vacation and trying to look for ways to uh, try alcohol-free beer um, and seeing that it was hard to get a collection, uh, which led to, you know, as, as many of you know, Better Roads, which is marketplace where we try to make it easy, fun, great tasting and accessible and really 
kind of grew out of that. But met Jack not long after, and we, I think, uh, hit it off just in terms of talking about all kinds of things, uh, including entrepreneurship and new business. And this was the idea that I was kind of kicking around uh, after the meetings and when we would when we would talk. So um, that's when. Uh, you you'd heard about it. Yeah, I think um, early on, I, I recognized from you and then from my own experience of the last 15 years, 10 as a therapist, 14 and a half overall sober, that there isn't uh, there isn't a good place to get these things and to try out new things. Um, uh, for those who would enjoy it, find it safe. It, it's hard to to access in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think to kind of pick up on that point is. It, it, not a not a lot of places to get these types of products and then from a treatment and sober perspective is that a good thing or a bad thing um and so you know i've you know on one end of the spectrum we could talk about it in terms of its opportunity to give people choice and reduce harm and for many people that might mean drinking less or but i think what, what i'm interested in really diving in in with you today on is for those who can't or shouldn't or don't drink um, from an alcohol use disorder perspective and what does that mean because um, on then there's the other side is is it really a gateway drug mm. or a, an opportunity to for people to to relapse yeah I think that um there are people who identify as uh, as alcoholic and know very deep down they ought not go for these products, either because it's already happened that they've tried and it didn't go so well, or that they are very nervous about mimicking the experience. Um, and then there's also probably a group of people who want to either stop drinking or reduce their drinking, but either way, do experience these products safely and do engage with them and enjoy them and find it uh, interesting and, and, and positive that they have a healthy alternative. Um, so there's like very much the naysayers. And then there's also a group of people that says, I, I think it'd be okay for me. And indeed it actually is. Right. And is it in the treatment community as it relates to, you know, alcohol, is it a lively debate? Is it kind of a topic that's out there kind yeah. of, has it changed over the years with the emergence of kind of this industry becoming a bit more mainstream or yeah. things like dry January? Yeah, I think that around the holidays, it becomes a huge topic. Um, I've heard in groups that I facilitate, people say, uh, if I go to this party, I'm going to need a short glass rather than the tall one that they give to the Coca-Cola's drinkers, right? right. And then I'm going to need maybe a, a wedge, a lime in there. And all to say, all that's in there is a club soda or maybe right. a cranberry juice. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that around holidays and then especially, like you said, with the growth of this industry and the product lines, uh, more people at least consider it. They don't just have to drink Sprite anymore. They can actually have some varied options, right. some of which are are pretty different from what they've had the opportunity to enjoy, which it used to just be O'Doul's. Okay. And and I, I'd like to kind of explore this spectrum a bit and maybe start with, because I think it's legitimate, and where the, where the risks are. So um, talk to me about, you know, predating the growth of kind of the alcohol-free industry. There's been alcohol-free beer since Prohibition yeah. with the emergence of near beer as yeah. a legalized beer product that was allowed at the, at the time of Prohibition. Like, you know, what have you seen in terms of actual clinical practice or even conversations yeah. in the sober community? I think um, there are people who 
basically before this, these products really started to explode, maybe a year or two ago that I started yeah. to get on my radar through clients and through uh, discussion in, in community, in recovery communities, um, most people would just have the experience with Odul's or some non-alcoholic, very mainstream brand yep. um, where a lot of them would say, I, I, you know, I shouldn't go there. It's too, the taste of beer, of near beer is, is very close for a lot of people to the real thing. Right. And it's such a unique flavor. It's not, you know, an alternative Coca-Cola. It's, it's the beer flavor, right? Versus some of the products that might mimic a, a liquor experience. Um, like a gin type of thing. Right. With beer, a lot of people feel very strongly that it is basically mimicking the beer consumption experience. Right. Uh, which is obvious. It's almost like obvious to yes. say. Uh, <laughs> but to that point, you know, I, I have a good friend who should never go near non-alcoholic beer. Right. I don't know how he would do with these other products, but he just, with near beer, it just, it's too much. Yeah. And so that's interesting because I think what you're seeing or what we're seeing is, um, Beer is, I guess, the most alcohol-free beer is the most mature. It's been around, you know, for a long, long time, as I mentioned. And I think the technology, if you like, the innovation has been, been, been worked on the most as people have seen real demand for it. So people would probably be most familiar with the fact that there are alcohol-free beers. And then when you're talking about wine or sparkling wine or now ready-to-drinks or alcohol uh, spirit alternatives... There's, there's fewer people that even know that some of those products exist. And I think it's fair to say that their ability to mimic the, ta the taste and flavor mm. has got further to go. Either because like in wine, I would say that the expectations of the consumer might be a little bit higher. You know, mm. people consider themselves or are wine aficionados, yeah. have wine collections. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then on, on the, on the, and there are sommeliers, like there's yeah. a whole industry around it. And on the supply side, I, I think it is actually harder to mimic. And not to say that doing it in the beer side is, is not hard, mm. and it's been amazing to see. But if you start to kind of just play out where, we, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going, yeah. um, I think you're going to see that some of those products get better yeah and that, mimicking or emulating mm -hmm. their alcohol cousins yeah um do you again talking about it from the the risk perspective what what what's your take on that so i think as well in in the people that i work with in my job there's a huge group that doesn't want to stop drinking they merely want to cut down on the amount as well as the problems that the higher amounts cause them. Um, for that group, some of these products are, are excellent for them because they don't have to feel uh, like an outsider at gatherings or at their own home or uh, w when they're around their friends, right? right. Um, and so for them, those product lines and new kind of things that they can try uh, gives them a chance to not feel like, oh, I have to have a Coke or I shouldn't go because I'll look like a doofus who just right. is having waters all night. Yeah. Um, that that group that I'm referring to is probably different from the hardcore kind of 12-step um, related community. Sure. Um, in a, and that's, you know, every group is has its positives, right? Um, for that moderation group, these products are probably really helpful. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I think and I see as a negative in our culture is people have to self-select in a very binary fashion. And yeah. 
people want the quick answer. So you're either, to, to put it bluntly or to make maybe ex exaggerate to make a point, you're either someone who doesn't have a problem with alcohol or you're an alcoholic. Yeah. And you either can drink fine, no problem, don't yeah. be, and don't be questioned about it. Right. And don't ask about it. Or you're an alcoholic and you can never have another drink right. and you can't be around anything that could trigger you. Right. There, there's, there are people in my field colleagues of mine I respect dearly who would never even think to like offer this as an option to their patients. Right. Um, and I understand that, but there is a spectrum of use, whether we start at the extreme of one end or the other, but there's a spectrum of everything in between there where for a lot of people, these products make sense. Okay. And has that, so what we're seeing in the marketplace is a expansion of choice mm options along the spectrum in terms of types of products, what they are or aren't trying to do in terms of emulating um, or mimicking alcohol. So like take wines, for example, there are some that are trying to emulate wine and there are some that are not wine based. They could be vinegar based or another flavor, but they're there as a food pairing alternative oh. when wine is often consumed. Okay. So you're seeing this, I'd say like more, milestones along the road okay. as opposed to the binary kind of, but in the treatment and count, you know, in the professional community, you know, in the DSM, in the, in, in terms of how it's even defined, there was alcoholism and now there's alcohol use disorder Right? is, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. And is, you said you have some people in your community that might would never recommend, and I'm not advocating for that, but are you seeing a, a an increase in the points of view? Sure. Yeah, I think first off, on historical perspective, DSM-4 had alcohol abuse or alcohol dependency, and then DSM-5, and again, and that book is not, you know, it has its uh, criticisms too. Sure. Uh, DSM-5 has mild, moderate, and severe use disorder. Okay. Okay, so, and even somebody with a severe use disorder might drink safely again. And I know that that might be controversial for me to say in my field, but right. they might. Right. Um, it's just that they met the criteria for severe sure. use disorder at a period of time. In terms of, uh, and now I've misplaced the second part of the question. Well, it's the idea of, um, that's what you're, you're describing very much more accurately than I could, the, the, the categories. Yeah. The evolution of, so the DSM, which is you know a, a, a description of various uh, disorders, right. there's been some evolution there is are you seeing that in the practitioner community um good question i think practitioners who understand that they have patients who will not continue to see them if they continue to just hammer home you must stop right at the same time we have an ethical i think responsibility if somebody's got four duis over the last four years i'm supposed to help them look at the possibility of yes. not drinking again, right? Yeah. Some of them, it's effective, right? <laughs> yeah, it turns out, right? You won't get a DUI if you don't drink. So, those practitioners, I think, are evolving in that. Um, in a group of twelve people, like a group therapy, there are, there are several in that in that group that will be drinking after the group ends, right? right? Maybe they're taking 30 days off. Maybe they're taking 60 days off, whatever, but they're looking for alternatives. And I, and I, as a practitioner have to face that reality. Right. And, and it's good for me too, because I want them to have options that help them feel safe and comfortable. I don't need them to follow my dogma, my, you know, whatever I believe in. Sure. Um, to that extent then that they have options, they have alternatives. I think it's awesome. You know, I was, I was recounting that 
a lot of my friends who don't drink are into mocktails uh-huh. and they're into expand they're into learning about different mixtures uh-huh. and to that point uh, some of the stuff i see on better road site which i love and and want to try and have tried some of that is really cool for them to enjoy mocktails. They're not going to touch the near beer, interestingly, some of the yeah. recovery community people. They're going to go more toward the spirit alternatives. And do you think that's interesting? Because, and I want to get to more of the harm reduction aspect, but you know, I think that's kind of a smoother road. So I don't want to get lose the meatiness of this because near beer has a history. It goes and out. So NAA has a history mm. going back somewhat to similar times, the yeah. early twenty. 20th century is some of that cultural some of that historical so that NAA near beer would be seen as 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 verboten going back a long long way so yeah. it's interwoven into the culture of AA and and to the strict you know to the 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 the, the practices of AA and I don't mean that I think in a good way yeah and or in your estimation truly from a formulation flavor perspective yeah. there's more to it than that sure i was thinking as you spoke i don't know if i've ever been to a gathering of a 12-step fellowship where anyone showed up with near beer no uh, i certainly wouldn't and and it would be might, incredibly yeah. taboo yeah. i can see the you know type of you know <laughs> whoa what is what does yeah. scott have with him um and yet they would show up though with a number of different um drinks to mix yeah so there's that like weird interesting right and i don't think they would show up either with near wine or whatever the term is for the wine category i think they would just do the mixed drink experience yeah and and so yeah i think it's way like the the history of near beer being verboten in 12-step communities that that goes back a long time yeah i'm gonna riff off that a bit because i think it then to your other point goes into other products in the alcohol-free industry that are using the, the words and the, and the ritual aspects of alcohol. Huh. So I was invited to, um, last summer, a conference called the, of the groups called the National Association of State Liquor Administrators. So there's, and, and liquor regulations, alcohol regulations, going back to prohibition is state run. Right. Um, so it's a fairly large group of people because you've got 50 states yep. and you have what are called largely control states where um, there's the control and distribution of alcohol through mm. state and quasi-state agencies and then non-control states where it's more of a free market. But nevertheless, there are regulations and the states have the uh, authority to, to regulate that, that industry. So they were interested in alcohol-free because... Um, it, it was obviously something they'd heard a lot about, um, amongst other things like the emergence of e-commerce and distribution of alcohol, um, through the e-commerce network and, and many other things. But I was on a panel about alcohol free and I was actually at the end, two things. One is at the introduction of the panel, one of the kind of seated questions was, is alcohol free actually and these are their words, not mine, a gateway drug. Okay. And the analogy they used was Popeye cigarettes as candy cigarettes yeah. and real cigarettes. So they were alluding to children, but not exclusively as just uh, about children. And um, well, actually, I'll stop there and see what you think about that. Okay. The idea that a kid could look at some of these things and think, okay, this is like pre 
These are, this is what I should do in the years before I'm a grown-up. I can understand some kids would think that way. I also, I, frankly, as, I, as we sit here, I'm like, maybe we should view, it, view th- that these products are only for 18 and up. or yeah. Only because it, some of the labeling, the bottling, the, et cetera, it, it very much mimics that experience. Right. At the same time, and I keep going back to spirit alternatives, but I don't see that category so much as mimicking. Right. I see it as enjoying a very interesting flavor of a drink. Yeah. I don't know what well, that and is. A lot of it, well, some of it has to do with the process. A lot of the spirit alternatives may not be going through a distillation process. Mm. So they don't even, one of the debates at the session and not to get into too much of this, but it is they were actually debating whether the regulatory uh, uh, rules that they have apply to alcohol-free, and one of their large reasonings or lines of reasoning was that if anything was ever alcoholic at the levels that they can regulate, yeah. 40% for spirits or whatever, and then is de-alcoholized, they're, they're, they were saying that the laws are so fuzzy and can be interpreted as that that is enough, even if it's been de-alkalized, to allow mm. them to have full jurisdiction huh. as if it was fully alkalized, huh. which was interesting in its own right from the perspective of what was happening there. But um, it, it spoke to this I- idea that a lot of these drinks don't ever go through a distillation process, right. but they might use words that are typically reserved for the alcohol industry. Yeah, the... Shifting that to the gateway drug idea, um, I think there are people who even just looking at these are like, that must be alcohol, obviously, right? The packaging is very similar. Um, And then, and furthermore, that must be what I would do if I was not drinking one night, but I wanted to look like I was drinking that night. Uh, And so to that point, like the gateway idea, I I just, I, I understand how that works, However, we're discounting that there are plenty of uh, users or customers out there who they just want to enjoy something and they don't want the hangover. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not gateway then. That's just people, you know, having a different experience than another group where it's like very much problematic. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it it does kind of then kind of key into this question of more on the other side of the spectrum you know, the, the harm reduction. So, you know, one of the things we see is despite, I would say, you know, maybe a sommelier and we've had sommeliers here and we involved them in our tasting process. Um, you know, it's hard to, to, you know, a deep cab from Napa, right. You know, if I get, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough hill to climb, um, from an alcohol free perspective, but Alcohol-free wines are extremely popular and are based on our, you know, we do a lot of interaction with customers and so on and so forth. What we see is kind of to your point earlier, if it's a choice between not drinking and showing up somewhere with a, a club soda in your hand yeah. and people, people in the, in your social circle, some people will key into that just as much as someone at an AA meeting. Yeah keying into you showing up with a no duels. Okay. They're like, why do you have a soda water? Right. It's like right. laser. Yeah. Now you can talk about what that means about the person who's asking the question and sure. so on and so forth. But it's true. I think yeah. we've all had that experience if we've not drank or seen it happen or even been the other side of that, that yeah. conversation. But what 
an alcohol-free wine allows someone to do is own that choice. It gives them the empowerment to say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to have a red liquid in my wine glass yeah. and it's going to be at dinner. Right. And if I'm pregnant and I've chosen to you know, not want to kind of, I'm not ready to, to share that information, right. then I can go out instead of staying home. Yep. That might have been my only choice. Yep. And I think that idea of empowerment is yep. kind of part of that. Um, and then for those that are trying to drink less, like, and, and I, there's probably no way to tally the scales, but harm reduction or giving people a reason to drink where they otherwise wouldn't as a gateway drug or a way to backslide or, or, or relapse, like, like where, do, where do the scales land on that? Yeah, I, I come back to with these products, if you utilize them, if I or a patient or a friend utilizes, uses them, enjoys them, and, yet, and then they find themselves in trouble with the real stuff, yeah. and that was not their intention, they really wanted to stay away, then they might have to identify on their own, up to them, that, okay, that's, this is a little risky for me. Right. Uh, if I have, though, a patient or even a friend who says, I, yeah, for like two weeks out of every month, I just sort of shift over to the, uh, the other stuff, the, the, the alternatives. And I find it very enjoyable and helpful. And I therefore reduce my use. Right. And why would it be infor- important for them to reduce their use outside of like risky behavior? It could be. That's a good question. Right? It could be yeah. a health issue. It could be that they just don't want to have that hangover feeling. It could be that they're training for something athletically, whatever it is. Some people want this alternative and yet they don't have an alcohol problem. Right. And right. for them, these products are so important. And I think that's where we see the positive of harm reduction. Harm reduction as a term, on a side note, gets dumped on a lot sure. because it's so closely associated with uh, needle exchange programs in okay. drug addiction world. Sure. Uh, it's, it's associated with all sorts of different initiatives that are not, hey, you want a uh, botanical spirit alternative? Like that, yeah. That's not, yeah. Right. Yeah. We're here to talk about alcohol, but as you, I was, I got interested in all of that kind of some of the research around that i think even there there would be research i'm sure heavily debated particularly in the united states where that's been effective too oh totally portugal or or other places yeah and and a lot of societies that those those efforts are very helpful at the same on the same kind of note these efforts are hugely helpful for people here with alcohol alcohol is in a weird position because well, not weird but yeah, the drug classes it's the only one where you can make alternatives that don't sound insane you think there's gonna be an alternative powder cocaine or an alternative right. shootable <laughs> heroin right but alcohol you can put a cool label on it right. and have that opportunity to enjoy it and not be looked at as a crazy person yeah and so to that end it's really cool that for those people who can use it safely they have that opportunity yeah and it's interesting because it actually ties to the very fact the name of this this conversation as it relates to alcohol free Mm. um if you look at the beverage industry and i only learned this by uh you know in the the experience with better roads the beverage industry is divided at the top into two categories there's the alcohol beverage industry okay and then there's the non-alcoholic industry and sometimes when we're because we want to say well how big is the non-alcohol beverage industry well, if you go out and Google that, you'll see that it's $1.6 trillion. But that includes water, soda, Coca-Cola. Yeah. And it's like, how many industries are actually, def- and it's the larger segment of the industry. Huh. The largest part, the largest sub-segment of the industry is actually defined by what it's not. Huh. And what it's not is an addictive drug. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and it, it um, I can see how somebody looks at all these products and says, Coca-Cola just feels safer. Right. But I can also see how that's uh, another person who does enjoy a Coca-Cola on the night they're not drinking can look at these and go, yeah, I would like to try that one and that and that one. And yeah. I don't see how it'll lead to any difficulties. I think... Um, when I look at the beer segment, like we talked about earlier, that feels to me like the heaviest to contend with yeah. for people who have an alcohol issue. The, the idea of utilizing one of those non-alcoholic beers, a lot of people would struggle with that, I think. I, yeah. I don't have the research on that. I think, though, that th the wine one is interesting because you brought up, I didn't know that there's a class of these that are not trying to mimic wine. They're just trying to be like a wine-like beverage, yeah, or, I guess. Yeah, food pairing alternative. Food pairing alternative, yeah. yes. That's interesting to me. Like that, again, like we're talking about, give somebody a chance to enjoy that meal uh, without having four glasses of wine. Well, and it's kind of funny. Well, it says a lot. I don't know exactly what it says without, I mean, I, it, it, in terms of conjecture, but if you've, if you've ever experienced not drinking, even for a week, but if you've decided to be sober and everything in between, you go to that restaurant that first time or that bar and you're out with your friends and you ask yourself the question, what am I going to drink? Even ask, if you're listening, ask yourself that question right now. And what do you come up with? It's kind of like, what do you want to do today? It's like, well, when, and you're taking all the alcohol options off the table. Yeah. What are you left with? Uh, yeah. Well, so in the past maybe two years, I've seen more restaurant menus include an option for someone like me who it's a mocktail yes. and it has some really funky some flavors. It's very sharp usually. And yeah. I, and I love that. Yeah. And that's basically my choice or, you know, Coca-Cola and Sprite and water or whoever. Right. Um, I, I, when the first time I toured and visited with you to see what you're doing, I was, I was amazed by how many options there are. I'm still amazed, but yes. Uh, I mean, it's really cool in that regard. And to that point then, with harm reduction as an option or as something people are, are gearing toward and that's their goal is, is reducing what's, what's problematic, having a ton of options is huge. You know, it's interesting because I, I tend to agree. Obviously, I'm probably biased anyways, but in the absence of, and I would apply this to most things, hmm. In the absence of any other data or knowledge, more choice is probably better than less choice. And the, my, the, the reasoning being everyone's different. Right. And I don't know what's going to work for person A or person B or this person or that person. So without knowing that, yeah. which we, we can't possibly know, if we can give more people more choice so that they can use those to make the best decisions possible for them, and, you know, say what you like about the category. They all don't have alcohol in them yeah. or less than 5.5%. So that, so that in the absence of more information in the aggregate, it, 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 you would like to think it can only help because of the choice factor. But the problem with that is at an individual level, everybody's, you know, th those stats isn't going to mean much for the one person who maybe did try an alcohol-free beer. And then that did contribute partly contribute to them maybe having a bad week in yeah. terms of relapsing or what have you, but then rethinking maybe that's not something that's going to work for them. The, um, there's something that I think about with that is, is of the people I see who start off, their relapse might have started in their, in their narrative at least. Right. And I don't mean to put that in quotes. It maybe really did with near alcoholic drinking. Sure. 
um, they'll a lot of them come to explore that there are other factors going on at the same time because of kind of what I've said earlier about there are people who genuinely feel like it's just a bad idea to go anywhere near this stuff. I was also on a side note thinking about another group of people that's sort of interesting to me when we study this category is uh, those who have never really drank right? and how these products continue to provide an option to them too. Right. Um, I know I'm here as a substance abuse therapist and so the people who have never drank probably never come see me, but there, there is that, that group. On a side note, there is also a group of people I treat who utilize drugs problematically in their past and they find that alcohol is not that much of a problem, but they also don't like alcohol. This might sound very niche, but I promise it's a bigger group than you think. Opioid history, uh, people with opioid history sometimes never liked alcohol, but they need and want to feel social as they recover from opioids. Okay. It's probably suggested that they not try alcohol. Right. But they have these options. Okay. So there is that group of people as well. Oh, that's interesting. Um, So I know I'm bringing up a few different groups, but people, there's a lot of opportunity a lot of group of people that yeah. use this. sub levels. I mean, we could go on and on, but I take the other example that that brings to mind is cannabis. Sure. So with the legalization of cannabis, I have to seem as imminent, yeah. at least federally. Yeah. Um, but in most states and in Canada, not most states, but in a lot of states and in some states like Oregon, cybacillin and yeah. things behind that. Yeah. If, and I have friends that, I know that this is a conversation is, Hey, now that I might be able to get a predictable non inhalant version of cannabis, yeah. whether that's like gummy or a tea or what have yeah. you. Um, and in States like California or in Canada, they've gotten quite sophisticated in yeah. the marketing and manufacture of those where sometimes it's like chocolate and peanut butter yeah. in terms of cannabis and alcohol. Yeah. If, now, if but what you might be really looking for, if there's the choice, is an adult beverage yeah. that maybe if your choice is cannabis, this is causing you to not drink because yeah. you've been given you've been given another choice. Yeah. It's kind of like another example, kind of on the where these things intersect. Yeah, and and it is the intersection of possibly reducing harm in that if somebody is a safe, so to speak, um, healthy, appropriate marijuana user, it's probably best that they not drink and compound the marijuana with alcohol. Yeah. And so I get what I get way to say what I was trying to say. It's, it's, it's exactly what they want and need to that point that, um, they would benefit then from, not consuming alcohol while being stoned or or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it's becoming more, um, I don't know, acceptable, right? Marijuana is. Um, yeah. I th- yeah. Especially in the formats that it's coming right, in. I, right. I remember um, going to Los Angeles and uh, went to, it, they, they have a place called MedMen. And it's right. basically, I describe it as it's the Apple store for cannabis. Okay. It's beautiful inside. There's glass displays. There are people with iPads. And yeah. You go up and they explain the different strains and yeah. what, what have you. And it was quite an experience. And people were there on their lunch break. Yeah. Like, there was no issue with them kind of coming in and looking around in terms of the stigma of Mm. it or anything like that. So you have to think. And the branding and the packaging, oh, my God. Yeah. It was... And, you know, I judge it. I'm not with no judgment, good or bad, if you just extrapolate that. Yeah. Compared to 10 years ago, if you wanted pot, you had to 
meet the guy on the corner and now you can go into these stores where you're being catered to and probably getting email follow-ups. Yeah, the um, thing I think about with kind of upmarket uh, shifting a little bit back to the alcohol and non-alcohol world is a lot of the products that I see available are, how do I call it? it, it they look upscale. Yes. And so in, your, in this field of non-alcoholic uh, products, will we ever see like just a... I don't know how to call it, like a, like a very basic level product that doesn't look that high end. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I, my guess is no. Okay. Unless it's part of the branding. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. But, but at the, I mean, I was able to enjoy something that you passed along when I visited last time of a, I don't even remember what it was, the mix was, but it was like this uh, feels very common and, and easy to consume and sort of, yeah. uh, it was like a really sharp Perrier that with lime. Yes. And okay. There's like kind of that category where we've got in, especially in the mixers, right. and some of them where instead of going from alcohol into alcohol free, they've gone from, I would say carbonated flavors into mixers. Interesting. Ready to drink. Yeah. Where the positioning and the flavors might be a little sharper. Yeah. So I sometimes refer to that as adult beverages. And my yeah. simple definition of that is my kids wouldn't like it. Right. If they tried it. Right. It's um, not orange juice. Right. It's not orange juice, but it might be orange based and it has a very sharp tang to huh. it. Um, it's usually, yeah, yeah it has, it's based off a sweet or a sour or a spicy or savory even. Um, and it kind of goes from there yeah. forward. Do people, this might be putting you on the spot, do people on the site have to attest to their age? You know, you are putting me on the spot, so no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but again, back to the state-by-state state regulations, yeah. um, in some states they probably should. Okay. Um, and in other states they don't need to. Understood. Uh, we haven't cracked the technical nut on that, and basically for all you regulators out there, we're begging forgiveness rather than asking permission. And um, I will say that when I was at, I say, in that community of regulators, lawyers, and, and and the industry was there as well yeah. at that conference I was mentioning earlier. Um, without getting into too many details, they basically admitted that because of the number of jurisdictions and the changes in the laws and the changes in the products, mm. not just alcohol-free, but mm. cannabis, cybicillin, yeah. that it was basically said that there, no one really, it's not black and white, and no one has an answer okay. to really what the, what the framework is. And that yeah. included things like um, alcohol, alcohol distribution. So there's a company out there called Drizzly. And Drizzly, yeah. you can buy alcohol online. But you can't distribute alcohol across state lines for the most part, okay. especially beer and wine. And that's the other thing. It's not just different by state. It's different by product. Okay. So for And there's protections for distributors and all these different things. Um, so it's very, very complicated. Okay. That's why yeah. there is an industry to try to make sense of it. But... Um, they, it was basically that there's, there's, there's too much changing. Oh, yeah. and with Drizzly, um, the way they do it is they, you, you place an order and then it's, it's that order is sent to your local, right. And you know, every state and package store, package store in Connecticut, party Municipal. store in Michigan, yeah. Bodega in New York city, yeah. whatever it happens to be. Right. Um, but their big issue there is what's, you know, basically the, the delivery of alcohol to minors. Okay. Now, they've been implementing, along with a lot of these other micro e-commerce sites and distribution businesses, a validation checks. Okay. So you actually have to scan. The, Your ID. You're doing an age ID. But 
back, you know, there's still a Wild West component to a lot of these things, yeah. whether it's alcohol-free or e-commerce or everything going on, and a lot of the stuff's still getting figured out. That makes sense. I think, would I be that concerned if somebody said to me, my 17-year-old got into my near wine collection? Would I be that concerned, actually, as like a, just as a person in their community or a friend of theirs? And I don't know that I would. Right. Um, so what I'm getting at there is, is um, like, these are products for people for different reasons. And I've just never thought through that they could be for the youth, right? Because they're, they're not intended, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's like it's the same reason. I don't know. It's going to sound like a strange comparison, but uh, teenagers or uh, 11-year-olds don't care about car tires. They don't learn about car tires because car tires are not for them. Right. A little bit different, right? <laughs> but yeah. stay with me there. But on near wine, right, they don't really, they see that mom and dad might enjoy it or, or whoever their parents are. But, you yeah. know. They or don't. it's the choice between, you know, I think it's, it's almost a cliche, the idea of a father get, letting their son try their beer for the first time yep. or, their, yep. or their drink, whatever it happens to be, or coming to the bar to yep. <laughs> pick them up yeah. or to bring them cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going way, I'm dating myself here. Or I just watched uh, The Tender Bar, which is basically yep. about youth and bar culture. So um, it, it's... But, you, you know, you've got those stories and then, you know, all their cultures, uh, in addition to the U.S., where alcohol isn't as... Alcohol's got a weird relationship in American culture. Sure. Um, but in other countries where it's a bit, a bit less of a thing. So kids might drink underage, but college campus binge drinking is not a much mm -hmm. of a thing. So, yeah. you know, and I don't have any data, but there could be an argument... You make if you make something forbidden, it just makes it yeah. more attractive to those yeah. who aren't supposed to have it. That's right. Um, and there's an element of that here too. A question I thought about that uh, I didn't know the answer to. One, why didn't these products come about sooner? Okay. Two, real qu just curious, uh, are these products more? Uh, has the advancement occurred anywhere else than the U.S., or is the U.S. leading it? Yeah, so I'll answer the second question first because it's a bit easier. So, yes, the, I think it's fair to say um, that the evolution of alcohol-free products is more mature in Europe. Okay. I would say, and I, I'm spitballing here, but I would say five-plus years. And so if you go to Germany, for example, most alcohol beer, their alcohol-free counterpart, will be available on the menu. It's okay. just... They're there, yeah. Um, and in and in England or in the UK, um, it's more accessible through the grocery uh, channel. Okay, and you're seeing a lot of it too now in other places, including the Middle East. So in United Arab Emirates, yeah, a lot of availability in grocery. That's newer. That's okay. less than five years. But in Europe, in particular, outside of that, not so much. Okay, um, I think. It's moved very quickly in North America over the last two years. Yeah. Um, we were first to market at the time, at least for some of the things we do. There were definitely people, especially on the producer side, who've paved the way. So I want full kudos and credit to those folks. But it was, and that wasn't that, you know, it was really just over a year ago. And it's much more um, available now in terms of okay. local bricks and mortar bottle shops and other uh, online locations. So that is true. It's. Okay. And even Dry January, it actually originated in Scandinavia and then really grew in popularity in the UK and then came to North America. Hmm. So um, it definitely predated in terms of its growth outside of the US. Um, your second question was related to 
Um, I've already blinked too. Me too. We're going to have to go back. I wish I'd answered your first question first. Uh, um, <sighs> awkward silence. Do, 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 do. So there was a different point that I would bring up. Yeah. Uh, I also have a population of, of clients in my office who would benefit from these products in that they have mental health difficulties. Right. And they have medications for those. Yes. And for those medications, which I'm sure you see in the physical health side as well, different medications should not be taken with alcohol. Yes. That, that group of people is substantial, right? Those who utilize maybe an antidepressant yeah. who have been told like, hey, you know, one night a week, that, that's something, but don't be drinking regularly on this stuff. Yes. It's ineffective. Yeah. Therefore, they can enjoy these products. Yeah, and that is definitely true. And as the name of the company, you know, the Rhodes aspect is recognizing early on that there's so many, back to individuals, everyone's different and everyone has their own journey. That has been one. And more than I've expected in terms of... Um, different medications and also different medical conditions mm. where the use of alcohol is not a good idea. It could mm. be a, a, an organ function mm. uh, condition or things that really have not, you know, are all over the map. So that's definitely been, it's definitely true. And it's definitely um, more than I, you know, I'm learning more about that every day. Your question was about the technology, I think the product development in yeah. terms of has this, you know, how's that come along? Yeah. Um, the analogy I use for this is the technologies in most respects, and I'm not, you know, on the producer side and there are many people a hundred times more qualified than me on this, but I do kind of live and breathe alcohol-free industry a lot. Um, a lot of these techniques have been around for a long time. So in Belgium, for example, you can have a specialty in alcohol-free beer um, brewing. Okay. Um, but the use, the application, it's like science and then engineering. Right. It's like, yeah, the science exists, but the applied use of it, yeah. not so much. And it's partly tied to demand. So the analogy I often give is the turbocharger. And I'll pick up on your, you use tires, I'll use engines. Um, the turbocharger right. for a car. That technology has been around since and just before World War II. And right after World War II, GM actually came out with two cars, two production cars with the turbocharger, and they both failed miserably. Why? Turbochargers give you more power for less cubic feet in engine space and horsepower, and more horsepower, and with less fuel consumption. Yeah. Um, At the time... People wanted big cars with big cubic feet, and the price of gas was not a topic. Yeah. Um, huh. Now, when the 80s, the late 70s came around, the energy crisis, in the early 80s, Saab reintroduced the car with a turbocharger, which still today is considered a class, and there's a whole subculture of Saab owners, and the early 80s Saabs were kind of the precursor of that. Now, and it was a big thing. It was a big part of their messaging on that car. It, it saved gas. They were small and powerful. Yeah. Um, the turbocharger technology now is in most cars yeah. to the point where it's not even mentioned. Yeah. But huh. the technology has now become yeah. kind of uh, embedded. Huh. Um, so I think what you're seeing here is similar, and that's why I predict, and I, you know, I don't think it's. Pretty, I think it's pretty easy to expect that you're going to see a lot of products where people are going to be continuously more and more impressed by the quality of the taste. Yes. Um, and it's because of the application of the technologies. And the another analogy I sometimes use is now that there's demonst- demonstrable clarity that there's demand. Yeah. Producers are now incented to take more risks yeah. with, the, with the breadth of the 
and they can uh, with the taste profile. So they can make something maybe more spicy or more yeah. strong in its flavor. And yeah. my analogy there is sometimes, you know, we we are broadcasting from Madison, Connecticut, right. which is a small town right. on the shoreline, halfway between New York and Boston. Not a big place. Um, not the best place in the world to get Chinese food. Um, but for those Chinese food restaurants, it makes perfect sense that their food has to appeal to ev a large group of people yeah. in a fairly small population. Yeah. So it's not the spiciest. Right. If you want to get that type of Chinese food, you, you would go to the Lower East Side. Yeah. And you can get Mandarin or Szechuan and so on. And huh. I think the same is here. Now that this is less, it's more of a, a larger and larger market, um, you're going to see producers, A, using the technology that's already available and making bigger, bolder bets huh. to differentiate themselves in the market. And huh. you're already seeing that in gin alternative botanicals okay. where you're seeing, you know, early on you might've said, well, yeah, I can kind of get it, but you really got to mock, you know, kind of put this into a, a cocktail with a lot of strong flavors. Now you can, you're getting some, it's like, wow, people are really you yeah. know, liking what they're, what they're seeing. I, I'll tell you the, my desire, and this is just one person, obviously, my desire to have a Coke at a meal, like at lunch today, was was non-existent. Right. But to enjoy something that had maybe a little bit more intense flavor profile or was a little bit more exotic, it exists, right? And so for those people, and just me as one example of, of a, a person who does not drink alcohol, I do think more, I, I hope, like you said, it becomes just standard that restaurants would carry some alternative to just the, the five main sodas and then a bunch of beer. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Yeah. And hopefully maybe like restaurants, you know, most restaurants would have a vegetarian option on the menu. Exactly. Um, whereas I remember, you know, again, dating myself in the eighties, if I had a friend who was vegetarian and they wanted to go out for dinner, you know, you might not have been looking forward to it <laughs> because you were going to one place yeah. and you've never been. Yeah. It was quote unquote weird. Right. Like right. now, of course not. I might order the vegetarian meal because it's yeah. the most appetizing thing available. It could be the and best. I think, yeah. You know, some, some similarities there where we might see some normalization. Huh? It's, um, a good thing, right? Overall, whether I have somebody who is trying to reduce their drinking or absolutely should stay away from drinking or is just questioning overall, it's just a great thing to me that they have these opportunities, these options. Yeah. And I hope so. And I think with, but also being aware that it can be problematic and right. just, you know, not losing sight of that fact. And I hope that, um, uh, you know, this episode of alcohol free radio, we've, you know, dive, dived in wide, eyes wide open. Yeah. It's been good to talk about it. I think that, uh, <clears throat> I'd love to come back in two years and see where the, the field is. And then also bring some insights from my patients who then have more experience with this stuff. Cause you have to know today's uh, anecdotes are just all about near beer. Yeah. That's right? interesting. Well, uh, let's do that for yeah, sure. I like it. Jack, uh, Jack Britton. Thank you so much. Enjoyed the conversation. Um, and we will definitely come back maybe even in a year yeah. and see, uh, That'd be see great. what's happening. Awesome. Thanks okay. for having me. Take care. Okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Alcohol Free Radio. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on social media or through email at hello at betterrogues.com. Great to be here with you all together. Take care. <laughs>